Hey everyone, welcome to Swipe Club. I'm your host, Robert Woodley, and this is your favorite resource on the internet for the do's and the don'ts with relationships and online dating. How is everyone? Angie, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. How are Excellent. you doing? Doing great. Doing very, very good. Um, lots of good information that you and I have been talking about and um, got some really good feedback from you know a lot of the attachment style and communication stuff that I have been talking about, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or right here on the podcast. It's definitely a hot topic right now. It's all over social media. Yes, yes, yes. So I know in the, uh, the first half of this, the first episode that we did about attachment styles, it was all about, we, talk, we touched on secure a little bit. And um, we talked about the book called Attached, and we also talked about the anxious attachment style. We did. So on this side, I want to talk about the avoidant. And the avoidant, I hesitate because it, it's, it's tough. The avoidant's hard. All of the research I've done and people that I've dated in the past and clients that I've had, avoidant is tough. I feel like you have to have patience. An avoidant will come around on their terms when they're ready, when they feel safe. And, and, and that gets under my skin, what you just said. And it's true. It's true. And if, if you're on social media or TikTok, all of the therapists say that. And I'll tell you why I get so aggravated by it sometimes when I hear that. But let's back up a little bit and let's talk about why an avoidant is a avoidant. Usually they've suffered. So just like anxious has, has experienced trauma. The avoidant has also experienced trauma, but in a different way. Both come from fear. Exactly. And the, the fear is I was never allowed to express myself. I was never allowed to um, express my feelings. I was always shut down and pushed out of the way. And uh, my feelings didn't count. And so when I tried to show love, or I tried to love somebody. I was just, you know, stepped on with a, the heel of a boot. No one made time for me. I was neglected. If I did speak up, my feelings were invalidated, um, ignored, dismissed, told I was wrong. That will make an avoidant attachment style. Right. And the thing is, is the avoidance are very scared. So to let me outline a little bit of what an avoidant will look like to people that are watching or listening. So what an avoidant will do is in the beginning... They're super loving. They're super caring. They're, they throw themselves in, into this newfound person that they met and lots of texting, lots of hanging out, lots of, you know, dates and lots of this and that. And then suddenly from out of nowhere, they pull way back, 180 degrees. And you're thinking in your head, wow, did I do something wrong? Or did they meet somebody else? Because that's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. It looks like maybe... You know, someone chatted them up and they met somebody else. If it was casual and matter of fact, there was no vulnerability. There was no emotional investment. There was nothing to lose. But as soon as feelings begin to develop, that becomes scary for an avoidant attachment style. Then we have to look at why. So what happens? So what everybody needs to know is if you're with an avoidant and that happens to you, it wasn't you. It's literally not your fault 99% mm -hmm. of the time. You didn't do anything. What it was is that avoidant is starting to feel, oh my gosh, like this is getting deep. Connection. This, this connection is strong. Mm -hmm. It's actually, they're showing you that they really do like you. That they and care. 
the big L word, the love, mm-hmm. you know, if they're feeling that and they get freaked out and they pull back. And what they start saying is this is, this is too heavy. When I was three years old, my mom showed me this type of love and then I was crushed in one way or another. So I'm, it's going to happen to me again. I think it's physically uncomfortable for them. It's like that lump in their throat, mm-hmm. that knot in their stomach, and they want to avoid that physical feeling. Exactly. They want to avoid it, so they pull back. And they might say, well, I always get dumped, or I always get my feelings crushed, so I'm just going to do it first. So then the self-sabotage starts happening. And they start looking for ways. They'll say stuff like, well, um, I, I really don't think I'm good enough for this person. Or this person could do much better than me. That's the mind reading. They're mind reading just like the anxious would. Negative but they're doing filtering. it in a different way. Right. Catastrophizing, overanalyzing. Exactly. So then their their partner that they've been dating is going crazy. Now, what a uh, an avoidant can do, an avoidant can turn a secure person into an anxious. Definitely. And then it's what confusing. happens is, right, so the avoidance pulling back, the anxious is coming on stronger, which just makes the avoidant pull away even more. It's a disaster. Well, it's not honest, it's not transparent, and it's very confusing because it's not consistent. So the partner that was secure has very valid reasons to feel anxious because it's not making any sense. Yes, you're exactly right. And it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Why doesn't it make any sense? Because the avoidant, don't want to communicate. They also, they, they literally shut down in every way and they won't communicate those feelings. They're not going to come out and say, I love you, but I'm scared. Or, oh my gosh, this feels really good. And that scares me. I, I think it's physically difficult for them to form those sentences. So they would rather run, hide, avoid, um, not face that conversation because they're too scared of what the answer is going to be. No, you're exactly right. And in the past, I have had an avoidant say that to me. Um, Robert, I physically can't say it. I, I just, I can't do it. And it's incredible. Like some of us can't even conceive, you know, they're like, well, just say it. <laughs> but they literally have this mental block. And I think it might be biological or physical that prevents them. Can they do it? They can do it. it but initially, right then, no. Could be trauma. Yes. It could be what's been modeled for them their entire lives. Maybe they were born into a family that never communicates or says how they feel. Right. So they literally don't know how to process it in their head to get the right words out. They may not even have the skills or the practice to do so. Right. So again, we can blame it on their parents. (laughs) And it it is generational too. Um, a, A lot of avoidance that are avoidance their parents were avoidance, at least one or two of the parents, and their grandparents were avoidance, and it does go all the way back. I hope I didn't screw up my kid. I'm going to ask him after this podcast. You're going to make him take the test? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to make my kids take the test. I so, love it. Kids, if you're listening, you're going to be taking the test. All right. You know what your homework is, son. Right. Exactly. Um, but you know what? Looking at my kids, I want to. Th- I, I kind of think they're they're secure. Um, I've seen them with their significant others, and I've seen them with me. I want to think mine is secure, too, but I thought I was secure, too, but that's not what the test said. <laughs> well, I, I know I wasn't secure in the past, and I, I know I'm secure now, but um, the 
and that's the other part too. So avoidance are challenging because, so let's look at the, that matrix of the three, right? Secure, anxious, and avoidant. An avoidant cannot be with another avoidant. That won't work. That will not work. An avoidant with an anxious will not work. I've seen it before. It's challenging. But if they're both will, willing to work on Meet themselves, the yeah, if they are both self-aware and they're working on self-management of what their obstacles and challenges are, it's possible. But avoidant avoidance, since they don't communicate at all, they both they withdraw. Might, they might be self-aware, but they're not doing the self-management. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to withdraw and isolate. It, if two avoidance got together, I would think it would be an extremely shallow relationship, surface level. Mm-hmm hang out once in a while, you know, date once in a while, but it's never going to go anywhere. It's just passing the time, filling space. Yeah. Casual. I couldn't see it going anywhere. And here's the other part. So an anxious will get help and in an anxious attachment style, they'll go work on themselves and avoidant will normally, not all the time. I don't speak in absolutes, but most avoidance won't fix it. I think it takes them a long time to come around on their own terms. I think if they really care about someone, they'll fix it. I think if they can really see that this isn't working for them in their relationships, romantic, with family, with friends, they might want to work on it. But when you're working with someone or dating someone that's avoidant, you have to make everything seem like it's their idea. You can't come out and directly propose oh, I've noticed this, or let's go to therapy for this. You really have to plant little hints and seeds until they have their aha moment. And that's the part that starts irking me. So every therapist I see online, again, no absolutes, but just about every therapist is saying how you have to approach and avoid in a certain way and you can't trigger them here and you can't trigger them there. And I'm like, no, it's bullshit because you know what? They're adults and they know that they are doing something that's unhealthy and that is hurting themselves and everyone around them. So stop. Not all adults know that. If if adults knew that, they need to. But if adults knew that, we'd be out of business. I mean, there's so many adults for many reasons. Trauma, modeling, situation, environment, um, toxic relationships for so many different reasons. They don't know how to do that. If you hit a certain age and you look back and you're like, wow, I've had six serious relationships and they've all tanked and they've all tanked the exact same way. And all of them scared me, and I pulled back on all of them. But you're there's a trend. You're expecting people to have self awareness, right? That's true. Many times when people come, I mean, that's the that's the first step of change: self awareness, mm-hmm. self management, social awareness, social management. Many times people come to therapy blaming everyone else; they can't see that they're their part in it and what they've contributed to all these breakups. But so they're going to just, therapy. Right? They're like, coming in blaming other people. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. They're I can coming see that in then. blaming other people, outside circumstances, outside factors. So we have to get to self awareness first. True. True. I can see that. But I, I think you would think that they would see a pattern. And again, it goes back to the self awareness that you just mentioned. But the uh, now, on the flip side of that, if I do see an avoidant that is going to therapy, and is you know looking inward and trying to find those challenges. I think that's awesome. That's strong, and that's a lot of effort. It's very courageous. 
Yes. That's very vulnerable. Very, because that's because vulnerability is that's an evil V word in their vocabulary. They do not do vulnerability. It's it's a fragile relationship. It's a slow relationship. It's a difficult one because they shut down. They shut down. They don't want to communicate. They shut down and you're doing all the talking and it's like, where do I go with this? If you provide a really safe place and you're patient and you drop some seeds here and there, they will think about them and come around. It just has to be on their timing and it's their journey, not mine. So if they want to take five years when I would take one, I mean- more power to them. And most, and most of them, and if you're an avoidant and you're listening to this, or if you've dated an avoidant or had some kind of relationship with an avoidant, it's very cyclical. They do this in cycles. They'll quote unquote love bomb somebody. It's amazing. And then they get scared and they pull back. The other person doesn't understand attachment theory, comes on really strong, starts apologizing. What did I do wrong? They're walking in eggshells. I don't want to trigger you. It escalates. You know, Please call me. You know what, what can I do to make this better? Which makes that other person pull back even harder. That does not help the avoidant. If you're listening and you're, you're with an avoidant, it doesn't help them. They just pull back even more. And you try harder and they pull back even more. And then it's you becoming anxious. And it just, it's a recipe for disaster. If you're dating an avoidant, they need a lot of healthy timeouts. And what I mean by that is they need a lot of time to reflect and think on their own. And you have to give them the space to do that. If you rush them, the process is going to take longer. You really have to have a little bit of trust in their timing and their process and let them have their realization and aha moment on their own. Yes. Let them go, give them the space that they need, but it's okay still to have your boundaries. Definitely. I tell every secure and anxious person that's with an avoidant, still hold your boundaries. Definitely. You deserve all the respect you can get. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be disrespected in that relationship. Mm -mm. And the avoidant should not be dictating the, the course mm -hmm. of the relationship. A healthy relationship timeout is you tell the other person you need a timeout. You tell them how much time they're going to take. You discuss how much time they're going to take and you discuss when you're going to resume the conversation. Absolutely. So if you're with an avoidant, you can say, I understand you need some time and space. How much time do you need? You need three days. Okay. In three days at 5 it. PM, let's meet and have a conversation about it. And, and this gives them time to get over their fear, their fear of letting somebody in. And, you know, if I have an avoidant and they're in my office and I'm talking to them, I'm trying to tell them to trust. And you know what? Maybe we're burned on love in the past. It doesn't mean you're always going to get burned. Dating's a gamble. Relationships are a gamble. Give that person a chance. Let them in and, you know, give them your trust. And you know what happens is when an avoidant becomes secure, they are over the moon. They love it. They're like, wow, this is amazing. And they never knew because they never they never knew that. Like they never knew that feeling. They never had it in their life. So they never had anything as as a reference point to compare it to. But once they get it, they love it. I think if you're an avoidant person in a relationship and you're trying to improve that, I think you want to start tracking 
and reducing the amount of time you need away. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to start looking at the relationship and identify what parts of it do feel safe and secure and grow those parts. So those two skills simultaneously will help you connect on the challenging parts of the relationship. I agree 100%. And to expand on that, I believe if we want to grow, we have to get out of our comfort zone. So what that means is if you have an avoidant and you have an anxious or an avoidant and a secure, have that talk and say, hey, I know you need your alone time, but let's be flexible and meet in the middle. And I need my face-to-face time with you. I'll pull back a little bit if you pull back a little bit and let's just both kind of meet in the middle. And once it starts happening, what starts happening is trust starts building with that avoidant. And then the avoidant starts saying, wow, this isn't t- this, this actually feels good. I'm having fun. Uh, the other part that avoidant needs is lots of activity. So don't spend time with that avoidant sitting on the couch, watching cops every night. It's just not that's, it gives them too much time to think and to also think, wow, this whole relationship is centered on me and I can't take this pressure anymore. And they freak out. They pull back. But if you're doing stuff. Distraction, keeping right. busy. It's all about compromise. It, it's it's kind of interesting because you have all these, you know, we're talking about buzzwords and stuff that's been trending over the past few years. One of them, you know, is love yourself and, you know, do things by yourself and do things alone and all of that. And I, I've never been quite on board with that. And I've got friends that say once a year, I've got to fly out and go on vacation by myself for a week. And I think that's cool. That's fine. But long-term humans are wired to be with humans. We're not wired to be alone. We're not. We're and, not. And this- we're, we're a pack, we're a pack species, but within that pack, everyone has their ident- individual self. They have their individual role in that system. If you don't know what your individual role is in your relationship Mm -hmm. or family system, then it's time to think about it and figure it out. Well, in this attached book that I'm reading, you know, the doctor in there goes on to talk about the research that's out there that shows that we live longer when we're with somebody else. Um, Something that I read or that he talked about, there's research showing, this was super interesting, that when if somebody has high blood pressure or they have, you know, something's off in their body and they're with somebody else who doesn't, it actually regulates. Your blood pressure will drop if you're with a person that has regular blood pressure. Um, the heartbeats match up. I know that happens with infants and babies, but I did not know it happens in relationships. Right. So people that are coupled up will regulate each other. It's healthier to be with somebody else. And uh, I mean, that's just a little piece of, you know, because the avoidance want to be by themselves. They want to be alone, stuff like that. But so if you think that you might be an avoidant or you know somebody might be an avoidant, they can fix it. It's the hardest of all the attachment styles, but it can be flipped. It just takes time and it takes patience. Self-awareness and self-management. And they've got to want to try. Absolutely. Individual growth, it's hard work. Relationship growth, it's hard work. It just doesn't happen on its own. You don't just stumble across it. You have to take actionable steps towards healing yourself and improving your relationship. Right. Because what happens is that relationship goes down the drain. And then once they're 
reclusiveness goes away and they do, you know, they've had their week off or however long a time that they needed 10 days or whatever to be by themselves. And now they're single and they might, at first they're like, okay, that guy was smothering me or that girl was smothering me and she wanted to see me too much, too often. I feel so good now and free. But then what happens is that that phase passes and then they're like, wow, I miss that partner. They want to come back. They, uh, you know, they, they have regret and they come actually come down on themselves. They feel guilty on themselves. They feel ashamed on themselves. And it's just, you know, you can beat that by fixing it in in the front. It's all about that healthy balance. Yes. Fixing it up front. The problem is, is as you mentioned before, is the avoidant thinks it's everybody else. That is a common belief. They're moving too fast. They're coming on too strong. Um, what? It's 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 been a year and a half, and he's already saying he loves me. Or really, she wants to go out, you know, four times a week. I just saw her last week. This is too much heavy talk. This is too much romantic talk. Mm-hmm. E- exactly, and again more generational stuff. It's probably what they were hearing growing up or what they witnessed with their parents. Mm -hmm. Often it is. So again, kind of surface level, but there's so much science behind it. Uh, I'm hoping that after the last episode, everybody's listening to this episode knows their attachment style. And uh, maybe you got your partner to do their attachment style too. That would be great. Kind of interesting. I think uh, what would be interesting is looking at the science of attachment style along with, I wonder if there's any correlation with love languages. Oh, I think there is. Because do you think an avoidance is going to want quality time as their love language? I don't think so. It's interesting. Right? Where I think an anxious is going to want touch, probably words of affirmation, and probably the quality time. An avoidant will want individual quality time to do their hobby, their self-care. If they're a musician, play play their instrument. If they're an artist, do their art. If they're a scholar, read their books. They're going to want quality individual time. Doesn't could, mean they don't love their partner, but mm-hmm. it means they need to work on balance. I couldn't see them wanting touch as their first love language. Physical touch? Mm-hmm. I think it could be sexual touch, something that is not emotionally connected. Right. Because it's safe. So just like the typical avoidant, there is a lot of uh, intimacy and physicalness in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it trails off once they start getting scared. Mm-hmm. So that could be, that love language could change. It can. So, I mean, we all know it, uh, on a secure person, it will change or can change, but not as often as it might with a anxious, or I'm sorry, an avoidant. I think an anxious will always want more. Right. More physical touch, more words, because they want the more communication. Everything. Um, I don't know if they're an acts of service. They might be. Little nice, sweet gifts. And gestures. True. Okay, I, think, I could see that. I think an anxious, any attention True. will fill their tank. And to them, even if their tank is overflowing, it's going to feel like it's not full. They're always going to want more mm-hmm. until they realize why they want more. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there you have it. The uh, the avoidant attachment style, which I think is, is one of the most challenging of the three, mm-hmm. but 
somebody goes to therapy and they want to fix, they can, they can get that changed. They can. Excellent. So um, if you're listening or watching and you know somebody that has that, talk to them. See if they'll open up a little bit. See if they'll trust a little bit. See if they'll go to therapy. Introduce and plant the seeds. Yes. And even better, make it make it seem like it's their idea. And it might take a couple of attempts. It will take a few attempts. Right. Definitely. They won't do it on the first time. So just be aware of that ahead of time. So don't be discouraged. Know that it's part of the process. They need to think about it. They need to hear the proposal a few times. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks, Angie. I think this was good. Thank you for coming on board and helping out. And um, we'll definitely have you back again. Fabulous. All right. Awesome. Happy to be here. Thanks, everyone.